0: Heavenly Father, we come before you today on this Pentecost Sunday. We ask that you be with us in the spirit that you poured out that day that is here, present with us. May he be drawing us closer to you and may he be teaching and convicting and helping us to grow in likeness to your son. We ask this on your son's name who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. I've already kind of given a plug for our, the series that we're going to start here in a couple weeks. Um, but I'm going to do my best to try to put this week and next week into sort of that story still. Because um, like I said, we're going we're to go on a journey of exploring, and I call it our story because this really, the Bible is our story. Now it's God's story, but it's about us. So if we want to know who we are, what is our story as a race? What is the story of our universe? Our story starts here. So as Christians, that's what we believe. We believe that the Bible is God's revelation of his story to us, um, amongst many other things we could say about the Bible. That's one of them, and I think probably the most important thing. Um, So today's uh, story or today's story, the day of Pentecost, sits in the story, but towards the very end. But what's interesting, and this is going to give us an opportunity this week to practice, because every time we talk about this story, and specifically as we get further along in the story, as we get towards the back of the Bible, the story looks back to the front. So if we don't know what's up here in the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, Ezra Nehemiah, Ecclesiastes, Daniel, Habakkuk, Obadiah. If we don't know who those people are and what their stories are, it's hard for us to understand the things that Jesus said and the things that happened in the 1st century. So we need to go, be able to look back and forth. So this week is a prime example of how The past ideas in the story become important pieces in understanding newer pieces of the story. As there's new chapters and new characters, the old chapters and the old characters inform and enrich the way that we understand the Bible. So that's what we're going to look at today. And our main passage is John chapter 14. So you may open there now. We've got these awesome pew Bibles that we dedicated last week. So if you don't have your Bible, or you want to follow along in the Pew Bible, grab one. Page 1536 is where we'll be. Well, actually, yeah, because it starts in verse 8 of chapter 14. But before we get there, we need to jump back into the story a little bit. We're going to talk a little bit about the book of Joel. All right, so I'm not going to ask anyone to raise their hands if they've read the book of Joel. It's short. It's only three chapters, I think. Um, But it's in the Old Testament, towards the end of the Old Testament, called, uh, well, it's what we call the 12 minor prophets. So minor does not mean less important. Minor simply means smaller, shorter book than the four, what we call major prophets, um, which are... I don't even know if I can say them. Isaiah, Jeremiah. See, look at me. I should have went to Bible school to learn the order of the books of the Bible. Um, Sounds like maybe Emerson knows them, but I won't put him on the spot. (laughs) Um, I just don't want to say the wrong thing, so I'm going to cheat and look. (laughs) Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel Daniel are what we call the four major prophets. And then there's 12 minor. See, look, I don't even know these books that well. So, um, but Joel, Joel is one of those books um, that we don't know much about. We don't know when it was written for sure. Um, There's not a lot of evidence within the book itself to tell us when it was written. There's a lot of uh, scholars that have a lot of opinions about when it was written. Um, But that's not really what's important. What's important is... um, is the ideas that Joel communicates. Now, we do know that Joel was written, we think, in Jerusalem. The northern kingdom was not mentioned. So we'll talk about this, and, you know, this is where the story becomes important. If I say the northern kingdom, you don't know what I'm talking about, which is totally okay because most people probably don't know what that means. Um, The northern kingdom is is Israel became two separate kingdoms um, after the son of Solomon became king. They split. So the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom became, have parallel histories, and eventually the southern kingdom continues, and the northern kingdom goes away because they get defeated. Um, so we think that Joel was riding to the southern kingdom, which becomes known as Judah, and in um, and this kingdom, and the reason the northern kingdom isn't, isn't uh, mentioned is simply because we think, well, it was no longer in existence, so there was no longer a need for this prophet to talk about that kingdom. They would already seen their judgment. So Joel has a couple important themes. Now this is what we want to pull on. Because when we study the Bible and the story, we're going to see that there's important themes that are common throughout every book and keep coming back. And a lot of the prophetic books have those same themes. So the themes of Joel are, there is the call for judgment and punishment, and then there is a call for repentance, there is a recognition of God's faithfulness, and uh, there is another really important theme that we'll talk about after we talk about some of these other ones. So the first theme is judgment and punishment. Now Joel opens with this image of Israel suffering a plague of locusts, which in the ancient Near East, you'd have your crops, and if these locusts came and ate your crops... I mean, there's your livelihood. Um, So this would have been viewed by Israel. and, And what Joel is saying is this is a judgment from God because Israel has been disobedient. So God is saying, hello, I'm here. You're not following me. We have this agreement. If you don't follow the law, I can do this. And he's like, I'm being very patient. And then we see, even though there's this idea of punishment, the end is coming. Remember the northern kingdom. They already were... Punished And they were taken away because of their unfaithfulness. So God's saying, hello, look. Remember why you're here. Remember your story. Remember who you are. So Joel's there um, prophesying about this and telling Israel this is what's happening. But then if we, when you read part of the second chapter, you already see God saying, all you have to do is repent. And return to me. And then he says, I will return your blessing. And then we get to this really interesting part where it says this, verse 228 through 32. Part of which was our call to worship today. And afterward I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, your young women or your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth. Blood and fire shall uh, and billows of smoke, the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. On the Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there will be deliverance, as the Lord has said. Even among the survivors, whom God, whom the Lord calls. So this right here is a primary example of prophetic language. All right, and we'll see this when we talk about the prophets in the story. But with Joel, what's important is he says, look, after all this, after God is faithful, if you repent, he's going to do something even more. He's going to be faithful and restore your fortunes, Israel. You will be blessed again. You will no longer have famine. You will have bountiful crop and wealth. Not only that, but God says, eventually, I'm going to pour out my spirit on you. And then he has this idea, the day of the Lord will come. Now, this is the other important theme, and this is the most important theme that, that um, Joel adds to our story. He talks about this day of the Lord, which in the Jewish Old Testament, okay, so here, who here, I mean, people know about the left behind books, right? Left behind, the great, late, great planet Earth. Um, so when people say things like rapture and great tribulation and antichrist, I mean, we have all probably, most of us have heard those words. So that's just part of our language when we talk about the end times. Now, I'm not commenting on any of those things. I would love to talk to you about that stuff if you're interested. I'm just saying we have these common languages about the end of the times. So for the Jewish people, their language was not uh, great tribulation or anything. Their language was the coming day of the Lord. When God's going to come and bring judgment, but this judgment also brings restoration. And the people who have been um, oppressing Israel and putting them into slavery and um, bringing all of these horrible things upon them, even though they might have deserved it, God says, I will judge the nations and liberate Israel on the day of the Lord. So what we see is that this Holy Spirit is coming on the day of the Lord. Now that's a really important image in the story. And in Revelation, it takes on these other images that our culture has grabbed upon and really ran with. But the idea is that there's a day coming when there will be great challenges and great punishment and great, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, not, wrath, well not God's wrath, but um, when he will uh, judge because of what has happened in the world. So these are just words that the Bible uses to describe what's going to happen. And it's just it's giving us an image and it's giving us something to hold on to. It's part of the story. All right, so that's what Joel adds to the story. Now we fast forward from Joel. The people of Israel have these images and they're waiting for the day of the Lord. Because remember, they're under Roman oppression. They don't have their own freedom. Rome taxes them heavily. And if they try to do things Rome doesn't like, well, the Roman rulers just kill people. Rome doesn't care what you do as long as there's not a revolt. So if there's even a hint of revolt, people like Pilate just kill people. They kill people because then everyone's scared and no one wants to revolt. So Israel is waiting for the day of the Lord because they want judgment on Rome. They want to see Pilate and the leaders judged because they've made their lives horrible. So that's the context of Jesus, all right? People are waiting for liberation. And then Jesus comes. And this passage from John that we look at, we've looked at this section about every week for the last month. It's, again, um, another part of Jesus' final will and testament to his disciples where he says, okay, look, I'm going to leave you, but this is what you need to know before I go. And in chapter 14, that's where we pick up the story. Um, In chapter 8, there's some things that happened before that that are really important. So Jesus has said, I'm going to go. And he says, where I'm going, you cannot come. He says, I'm going to go to my father's house. I'm going to prepare a place for you. You will come to me when the time is right. So then um, one of his disciples, I can't remember who. Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going, and how will we know the way? And that's when he says that I am the way, and anyone who comes to the Father comes through me. So Philip hears this, and he says, okay, so Jesus is the way to the Father. So then Philip says, okay, Jesus, starting in verse 8, this is where we pick up the story. He says, Lord, show us the Father if you then show us the Father. He's like, I want you to show us right now, and that will be enough for us. So Philip says, okay, you show us the Father. I want to see it right now. And this is how Jesus responds. He says, Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing this work. Believe me when I say that the Father, that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. All right, so this is again a theme we kind of picked on the last couple weeks. Jesus reveals the Father. He reflects the Father to the world. And it's his work that shows the world the character of God. So he says, you want to see the Father? I don't need to show you a miracle. You've already seen all the miracles I've done in the last three or four years we've been together. You've seen the miracle, John recorded the miracle of water to wine. The, water, the miracle of Lazarus, Lazarus being raised from the dead. Those are just two in the pages of John. John says, you, or Jesus says, you've seen the work I've done. But it doesn't end there because Jesus says, okay, so I... Did this work, but I'm leaving. And this is what he says in verse 12. He continues, he says, Verily, truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the work I have done, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. So Jesus says, Look, I'm showing you the Father. It's the works I do that show you the Father. That's how you see God. You see, you see him through what I do. And he says, now, all of you who believe will do those works too. And he says, you will do greater than me. And what he means by that is that all of your works put together are greater than anything I could ever do. So what is he talking about? He's talking about us. He's talking about the church. He's saying, you are going to do my work. So the last couple of weeks we've talked about we need to love, do, live the love of Jesus. I didn't put it that way, but that's the way I'm putting it now. And we're to be obedient to Jesus and to follow his will and doing his work. And when we do his work, I said, remember, we reflect God to the world. The world sees God through us. And Jesus says, this work is going to be done. And he says something really crazy, really. He says, If you ask anything in my name, which means anything that you ask that is for my will, and I will help you do it. Now the immediate question might always be, well, well, how are we going to do this? And then this is where verse 15 comes in. This is what Jesus says. Even if you love me, keep my commandments. And then he says this. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you. And be with you forever. The spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him because it has neither seen him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. And then jumping down to verse 25, he continues and says, In this I have spoken while still with you. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, My peace I give to you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and and do not be afraid. So now we pull on this this theme of the Holy Spirit, but Jesus gives us a little different idea about it. He says, okay, you are my followers, and this is what we've been talking about the last couple weeks. We are the followers of Jesus. We are supposed to live his love, and he empowers us to do that work. And how does he empower us? With the Holy Spirit, what's called his advocate. The person who comes and dwells in us and is with us and goes before us and gives us the strength to do the things we can't do on our own. This is the image of the Holy Spirit that Jesus gives. Now what's interesting is, well, what about everything in Joel? What about Joel? What about the day of the Lord? What about the judgments that's coming? So now we get to our Acts reading today. Now, I'm not going to read through that again. Don't worry. We're not going to read it again. But it's about the Holy Spirit coming. Now, Jesus said, look, the Holy Spirit's coming to empower you to do my work. Or put another way, the Holy Spirit empowers us to do the work of Jesus. But now we have this Acts reading And when we read Acts, what we see that happens is that the the disciples are in the upper room praying and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit comes upon them and they begin to speak in different languages. And they go out into the temple courts and there's Jews from all over the Roman Empire because it's the day of Pentecost, which is an, an Old Testament festival. So people are there from all over. They all speak different languages. They know Hebrew because they're Jews, probably, but that's not their main language. Their main language is whatever land they're from. But all of a sudden, these followers of Jesus come out and they speak all these other languages. And they proclaim the good news of the gospel. And people all of a sudden repent. And they start to follow. And we're told that 3,000 people that day began to follow Jesus. But what's interesting is what Peter says about the event. Because people say, look, you're drunk. And that's why you're doing this. And Peter says, no, it's not because they're drunk. It's because this event that Joel talks about has come true. Peter says, remember that thing from Joel about the Holy Spirit coming and the day of the Lord coming? He says that's what's happening. So now we have these two ideas that need to get mixed together. Now this is really where following the story becomes important. We have these different layers and these different themes. We have Jesus saying, the Holy Spirit empowers you to do my work. And then we have Joel saying the Holy Spirit's going to come and people are going to show signs and wonders that the end's coming. Now that happens in Acts. But the Holy Spirit comes and then what about this day of the Lord? What about the coming judgment? So now we're left to make sense of all this. And that's part of what this story series is about. It's making sense of those different details that are so easy to overlook and so easy to be confused about. But what Jesus says, he says the Holy Spirit came to empower us to do the work of Jesus. And we look at what's happening in the book of Acts after the Holy Spirit comes. Right after the Holy Spirit comes, 3,000 people are begin to follow Jesus. And then this group, these people go back to their homes. They probably start their own churches. They start to gather and tell people what they learned. But people in Jerusalem start to gather together. They start to live the way of Jesus. They love one another with self-sacrificial love. They begin to pool their resources and they share everything because they're helping one another with self-sacrificial love because they're living the way of Jesus. Because the Holy Spirit empowers us to Live and do the work of Jesus, and we see these early apostles doing the work because the Holy Spirit comes and empowers them. And then Acts continues, and Paul goes out, and then the Holy Spirit transforms the lives of all these non-Christian or non-Jewish Gentiles throughout the Roman Empire. And before we know it, three thousand or three hundred years later, the Roman Empire is overtaken. By the Christian faith. And it becomes the national religion of the emperor. And it unites the empire. Because the Holy Spirit sends out these people to do the work of Jesus. Now, what about this day of the Lord? Now, this is where things get really, really interesting. So we always want to know well, when is the end coming? When the Holy Spirit came, he began the end. We're in the last days already. We're in the final chapters of the story. Jesus is in the center, the climax of the story. And now the story is being brought to its resolution. We see Joel at the beginning talking about the Holy Spirit. We see Jesus say, look, the Holy Spirit's coming and these things are going to happen. It's going to inaugurate the end. The day of the Lord is coming when I will return and I will judge the world. And also when I will set up my kingdom and when new heavens, new earth will be set and established. He says all of those things, but he says in the middle, in the middle of all those waiting years... He says, you're my church, you're my people in the world, you are to be doing my work. And he says, my spirit which poured out is how you do that work. The Holy Spirit came to empower us to do the work of Jesus. And that's the day the church was born. The day that the Holy Spirit came and dwelled in people and gathered people around Jesus to be his body. The day the people gathered around to do the work of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. The day when Jesus' kingdom became present in his people while they wait for his return. The Holy Spirit came to empower us to do the work of Jesus. So today we celebrate the birthday of the church. And we recognize that the Holy Spirit is what empowers us to do the work of Jesus. Let us close with prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you today and we recognize your spirit that it dwells in us, that empowers us to do your work. May we be aware of your spirit and may we cultivate his presence in our life. May we learn to hear his voice. And may we learn to live through his power. Lord, as your church who gathers in your name, may we follow the leading of your spirit that guides us into your work. In in these last days, Lord, while we wait for your return, may we feel the urgency of the need to spread the good news of the gospel while we wait. We ask this all in your son's name, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.